Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community, and we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Hey, Brad, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How's Addison doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah? Had a, had a pretty good weekend. Good. Uh, the end of the week was rather uneventful. Didn't have too much going on at the end of last week, but it the weekend ended. itself. Oh. Ended up getting some uh, some garage time in, which was a lot of fun. Got to uh, got to work on the valves on the uh, GL500. Oh, yeah. How'd that go? old 82'd Red Ruby, whatever we want to call it. Again, Red Ruby. We are down to one week, people. Please send in better names. I, I'm going to go ahead and request that visit SlackerMoto. We're going to start early with the plugs because go to SlackerMoto.com, go to the uh, Patreon page, go ahead and go to our podcast page, go ahead and leave a comment on iTunes, wherever you can find us, Facebook, and go ahead and write in a new name. Red Randy, preferably. Except Red Randy for the GL500 belt. Not the belt, the daily. Oh, you're it, wanting to name the Gladiator name. too? No, Gladiator's good. It needs a name. I can come up with a name for that, too. I can think of better names, too. And we might when it comes up to it. I like Gladiator. i got to say, that's not bad. It's got to live up to it, though. If you're going to call it Gladiator, it has to live up to it. That's fair. Okay. We'll call it the Russell Crowe, for sure. Right now, Red Randy kind of lives up to its name. Uh, How? Because it's kind of Plain Jane. We could call it that. Plain Jane. No? None of this makes sense. Which is why we need names. So yeah, if you th- please jump on right now, pause the podcast, jump on the internet webs, internet. find your email, and slackermoto at gmail.com or anywhere else you can think of that you can find our podcast or a place to comment. Give us a name, let us know, and uh, yeah, in a week we're going to be, we should be calling out the new name. Did you on the post rules. on Instagram for I'll us? I'll do that. Okay. So this last week, because I'll I think that, that you're going to get some more help. You'd said by the end of this month, and that's coming up fast, man. I know. That's what I'm saying. We're like a week out. Okay. Okay. I'm looking Figured forward to it. Although you did notice, uh, you did point out, I should say, that uh, we Probably had noticed. a lot of downloads in the last couple of weeks. Yes. That, that's fair. I know we were getting into motorcycle talk because it's a motorcycle podcast, but. Thank you to everybody that listened. Yeah, at least one of them has got to give you a name. That's all I'm saying. That's fair. Yeah. That is fair. We, uh, yeah, we had a lot of downloads last week. It's pretty Texas. awesome. We, uh, someone new in Texas listening, and you rock. Yeah. Yeah, thank if you. If we get an email from you, we'll give you a straight up shout out, but for now, it's just you. Hey, you. You, you rock. But, uh, let, let's make a guess. It's, uh, Steve. Is it a Steve? Steve I don't in know. Texas? You're awesome. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> come and join us. Yeah, we, right. we almost had a guest star. We almost had a, a surprise guest star pop into the uh, the studio here. Noisy Dave. That'd have been a tre- a treat. It would be given the topic today. It would be nicknames. We'll get into that. Oh. Nicknames is a good topic. Oh, oh buddy, we'll, <laughs> we'll save that one for a better week. <laughs> that would be fun. But uh, there's no content right. We'll now. make sure we get about ten okay. people in. And then we'll just start creating nicknames. For everybody. Everyone. Yeah. Or explaining why they have said nicknames for those that are here, because we do have a handful of nicknames. Nonetheless, sorry. Back to it. Working on the GL500. Red uh, Did the valves. Okay. Uh, it was getting a little noisy, a little, little valve noise, or possibly cam chain noise. You'd mentioned that. You were a little concerned. That it wasn't catastrophic or terrible, but it definitely from where it was 4,000 miles ago. To where it is today was a noticeable difference. Oh wow, you've put four thousand miles I on it. About it, yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So there's def- definitely a difference. It's too soon if the valves were recently done when I bought it. However, I don't know how long it sat, so there could be just lack of use in that initial stretch of being put back into service. Sure. So anyway, jumped in, pulled the covers, checked the valves, uh, got it all to where I was real comfortable with it. Pulled it out of the garage, fired it up, and man, it was worse than when I started. <laughs> That's yeah. not how you want it, it wasn't to be. good. Um, read up on, you know, back into the Haynes manual that I've got. Looked at the climber manual I've also got. Why I have two, we can get into later. Um, looked online. Kind of went into a lot of the stuff and realized that... Uh, You're freaking out. 
Yeah, I don't know. That's freaking, I just knew I didn't want to ride. You were freaking out, man. The way that it was running, I wasn't going to ride. That's understandable. So, and I want to ride it this week. My plan okay. is to ride it this week and go yeah. on a trip Saturday, at least a full day trip. So It's supposed to be super hot. Are you going to ride it tomorrow? Probably not. No. It's supposed to be super hot. That okay. fairing is terrible for the heat. <laughs> Turns it into a freaking oven behind the fairing. Remove the window. The windshield. It is tempting, actually. To, oh, that's not a bad bad choice. It's pretty easy. Four bolts and done. Yeah, it would be simple. That's an interesting thought. I okay. might do that. Just to okay. see how it plays out. So anyway, so you looked into all these manuals, and what did you find? Anyway, found out that... So what I'm using is Murray's Carbs is a company, a small business in... Uh, I believe it's in Kentucky. So anybody in Kentucky, find him and give him a big thank you for me. Um, but has treated me really well. Bought a handful of parts, especially for the rebuild uh, for the project bike. Sure. Uh, but one of the things he's created... Uh, maybe even invented. I mean, granted, I'm sure someone else has this tool, but for these bikes is a, a threaded spark plug threaded positive. I don't know. A positive, a piece that you screw into the spark plug hole. Okay. That will actually a mechanical device that will stop the piston just after top dead center oh. to where you're at the ideal tightness. If you then tighten it to that, Whatever give you have in your feeler gauge will be perfect because you're okay. just barely past. It is like, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure if we only had Murray here, he could tell us exactly what it is, but he may not because it's proprietary. But whatever that distance is, you thread this in. So you go past top dead center, okay. you thread this in, and then you bring it back slightly to like kisses. Okay. Clockwise? So you turn it clockwise. Okay. And then you go counterclockwise to kiss this part. Oh, really? And then you adjust your valves. Okay. And your valve clearances then at that point are pretty good. Pretty good. I would say dead on. The noise is completely gone valve-wise. Okay. So I would say dead on, and I've read reviews. I actually talked to a few guys on Instagram that have these GL500s that are using this tool. It's not an expensive tool, but is it worth it or not? I had to kind of ask around first before I tried. Well, but you said it should be... Perfect, and it sounds like so it was So I still wasn't. had noise. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't even hardly it, run, you said. Apparently, it's very pivotal on the cam chain tensioner, which makes sense in hindsight. But after I did all that, I just loosened the cam chain tensioner nut. Yeah. And then reset it, reset the spring, mm-hmm. and tighten the nut, and, you know, got bad noise. But it's pretty pivotal that you don't go counterclockwise, and you just keep it turning clockwise on that cam chain tensioner reset. Ooh. That you keep that slack in the side that it needs to be. So how do you do that when you're supposed to go clockwise and then counterclockwise? So when I did it the second time, rechecked the valves, they were okay. Didn't need adjustments. The valves were good. Okay. So I pulled that tool out, and then I get another full two rotations. Oh. Right? So I was back at top dead center on the uh, left-hand intake side. Okay. And then, without pulling it back counterclockwise, adjusted the cam chain tensioner from there. So I think what I did is basically take what was already a loose cam chain, pull that tautness into the tensioner so that it pushed it actually a little bit further out, sure. and then retightened it. So, instead of that, basically just an extra loop, which takes five seconds, right? You just spin it, watch the piston in there, watch it go down, back up, down, back up, and you're done. Tightened it there, had no problems. So okay. it's, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting on those bikes. You've got your rather tight clearances, you know, 0.8 intake and 0.1 millimeter exhaust. Okay. Um, running that on those bikes, you require, and this is just informational for anyone that may have one, rather than being vague and, and broad, we can give a little bit of information here. But you want to run the left-hand intake top dead center. Okay. After, you want to do that first. And that's when you actually adjust the cam chain tensioner. So there's a lot of little rules, and I was following all but one. And that's why I got done. I was pretty confident because I was following this 10-step of rules, which is a little more in-depth than most bikes I've owned. are much more simple. Um, And then you uh, run through all those rules and tighten it up. After I did it the second time, fired the bike up, and man, it sounds good. Wait, wait. You said... The other bikes were more simple. The Scrambler was simpler? Rules-wise, yes. To adjust the valves in the Scrambler is a more complicated process and a more expensive process. That's fair. But 
It's not going to feel do, that bad next time, I is, guess, is what I'm getting at. Is that Oh, no. Now that I know what I'm doing, this sure. will be super simple right. and super easy. And the nice part about... So this is a uh, lock nut on screw in, tap it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's really easy to do. Mm-hmm. And it's easy every time I ever want to take the valve covers off. It's easy to get it perfectly on. Especially right? with Murray's tool. Dead nut center. So I can get it in the right spot with regards to the valve location. Sure. Right, the open close location with that tool, and then I can always get my correct gapping mm-hmm. because you just you know screw it down till you get a fair amount of resistance, yeah. and then you hold that the the tap it while you tighten the lock nut down, and mm-hmm. it doesn't go anywhere, and you're always dead on. That was one of the things with the scrambler, but there's a little more give in it, and it's fueling. There's a lot more things that made it easier with regards to running, but it was cam with the it, you know it was uh, cam on shim. Okay. So I had to replace the shim, which only has certain options. That's understandable. Right, without yeah. shaving and getting into some crazy, unnecessary machining. That had an allowable clearance gap. Which okay. The GL, you know, all those old bikes do too, but you can always put it dead center every time. What okay. it's saying is this is where it needs to be. If you're here and it gets loose or tight, you're going to be good for a while. Right. Right. Whereas with the Scrambler, it was if you're not center and the only things that fit put you on one end or the other you got to sit on one end or the other, and you might have to do this again soon because there's really no way to hit dead center again. Right, which is only, what you learned. You went through yeah, that there's process. there's only 0.05 with the millimeter gaps available. So and you figured it out, and you got it, and it was no it was problem. Uh, just just interesting but statement. Steps-wise, it's, it's easier. You just write down your numbers, run the math, mm-hmm. and replace the shims. Right. Go buy the closest thing to it. Make sure it's not above or below done it was on. a lot more complex Hope that snap comes in as a real thing in here and not just an you like to talk sound. with your hands it helps me understand you at least i know i and i'm glad being uh you know so visually apparent for everyone listening that you I'm need a cup of coffee hands. in your hands it i helps. don't that that's your thing you don't have to drink it we got coffee. so cup. anyway it was running beautifully anyway, runs after great. you had done the runs great sounds better i mean i guess it's been four thousand miles and you don't realize the change that occurs Mm-hmm. Right, and then you dial it in, and you're like, "Oh man, this thing's sweet again." Yeah. So sounds good, runs good. I'm excited. Um, now that everything I know is dialed in with regards to cam chain and valves, I'm just going to go ahead and resync the carbs because it's at a perfect spot to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, right there's right now everything's. I know everything else that is downstream of that. I know I'm talking with my hands, Brad. Thank you. But everything else downstream of that is. Uh, you know, it's good to go. Yes. So if I can get the carbs dialed in now, it should be a one and done. As long as I'm using and them. And you've been through that process. Yep. That'll be so easy So this now. is all relatively tool. simple, just going through the motion. Yep. At this point, I bought, I've got a good auxiliary tank that I can hang and actually run this correctly last time. Instead of using a Coke bottle like last time, I can use a, a legitimate system. That right. Is well, made this to, is all part this. of the art of motorcycle maintenance. Right. Yes. Zen and. Zen? Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. I'm just saying, regardless of what Zen said. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, it was a good weekend. Got got some bike time. That was nice. Got a little Saturday and then, you know, messed up the job and then came back to it. Because obviously, in firing it up, one of the tricks to changing, adjusting your valves on any bike. If you don't know this, definitely a, a tip for those that don't is you want to make sure you do your valve adjustments while the bike is completely cold. Okay. You don't ever want to check or make adjustments on a bike warmed up at all. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got it done, right? Fired it up for, you know, could keep it running, idling. Okay. It wouldn't give, it was not running right. Cam chain, cam timing was off based on that chain lash that was bad. Um, and then because I had run it for 10, 15 seconds, I decided it needed to soak overnight, cool off a little bit. Okay. Sunday went back to it and, you know, 30 minutes later it was done. Sweet. So. Next time, I imagine it'll be even quicker now that I've got kind of a system down. Oh, yeah. I understand you know, what I'm doing. You know it now. I'm feeling much more confident with it. So, And then when you get to doing the Gladiator build or whatever you end up calling it, your other JL500 project, it's going to go very smoothly. So you'll know that the steps that you're taking to do all of this now, if you're doing them the same on the other bike, it had nothing to do with you taking the wrong turn or doing something sure. out of sync or you're trying to misdiagnose it, you'll have this down. So it's going to be a lot smoother to diagnose potential concerns or just checking things out in the process of getting it all together and ready for that first fire up. Yep. Sweet. 
that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to hearing it here, seeing if I can tell a difference, just because I know that you hadn't gone through this uh, adjustment yet. So it's pretty awesome. Glad you're uh, getting a lot of good use out of this bike that you bought this year. It's fun. There's definitely, you know, on an older bike, a lot more maintenance required, but it's a lot cheaper maintenance. So mm-hmm. it's kind of give and take. Scrambler had pretty long maintenance intervals, so it was nice that other than oil changes, I could go a couple years without doing anything major. So how often are you going to have to do these, uh, all of these adjustments? It's debatable on the bike. The cam chain tensioner, especially on an older bike like this, is recommended to do pretty often. That's relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the valve should stay in spec pretty well. That shouldn't have any age-based changes. Right. Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't be too bad, but it's something that they recommend checking pretty often. That's fair. I mean, this bike, right, the Scrambler had a 6,000-mile oil change interval. This has a 3,000-mile. Everything's basically cut in half mm-hmm. maintenance-wise on this bike. Back okay. then, you know, the tolerances and things didn't allow for quite as much room for uh, for those maintenance intervals. So it'll work out. Okay. Keeps me busy. Um, you know, I'm trying to kind of migrate more into the ride every day, kind of limiting our cars at the house. We're thinking oh. of, of replacing a few and, and kind of going back down to only as many as we need. Mm-hmm. Which would give me a lot more necessity, I would say, to ride. Yeah, Nissan Leaf, I think you said. Yeah, definitely not. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now we drive and ride way too much for the electric vehicle world. I understand. But uh, at least as it currently sits. wouldn't be a terrible commuter as a third vehicle for us. But, That's fair. Yeah, otherwise we just drive too much. No more white lightning, potentially. I'm, I'm... We'll see. Right okay. now, it's, you know... We've got running cars. There's no reason to get rid of them. We're not pulling the trigger on anything quickly. But yeah, just need to get Kelly on a bike and get all the kids on a bike. You guys go everywhere on bikes. Yeah, yeah. A couple of sidecars and we're good. Oh yes, that would be awesome. Looking forward to seeing that. You should be. Yeah. Did you have any fun this weekend? Oh, not a whole lot. So my wife was healing up. Had uh, had pneumonia last week, so that wasn't fun. She wasn't very. Uh, she wasn't feeling very good, and so. Ended up going in. Doctor said that's what she had. So she was going through, taking the medicines, had an inhaler, feeling a little bit better, still trying to clear up the the lungs. So uh, we're very uh, grateful that she's doing better and did do a little bit outside, but nothing bike related. It was a lot of just hanging out with my son. I'm going to get you riding again. I know. I know. I was looking at bikes, tried to get you one. Yeah, that was perfect for you. And I, you said you were looking for one. Yeah, I am. I'm looking. I don't know that I'm buying for one. I, I, I'm sure... I'm sure a Ninja 250 just for being able to go track days and maybe yeah. just around town might be. It, I think it'd be a blast. You should have got it. Yeah, Brad found a a 250 locally for what 600. 600 bucks needed a little bit of love, but it wasn't bad. It was all basic. You're going to buy a bike that's probably sat for a year or two. You're probably going to flush the fluids and and you know adjust the carbs, clean the carbs, and put it all back together. I don't think it would have taken much. Really low miles, under 5,000 miles on it. So it was uh, quite a good deal up here, but anything like that goes really quickly. So it was a get it or lose it type of scenario. So. Yeah, I'd call it the deal of the day, but yeah, it's already gone. So Deal of the day? Yeah, it's not the deal of the day anymore because the deal's gone. The deal of yesterday's? Yeah. So oh, anyway, well. nothing uh, really bike related, but um, looking to take the heads down to a local machine shop for the Nissan Xterra. So we're looking forward to... Getting that uh, buttoned up, just kind of going slow. Seems like one thing after another, kind of slowing us down. But, but yeah, yeah, it's a good weekend though, nonetheless. Nice outside, can't complain. I agree. The weather's been great. Uh, seems to be continuing to. The plans are still great for good weather. Yeah, a little hotter, a little hotter the next couple That's days. That's true. But uh, yeah, weather's good, so we need to get your bike running. Okay. So let me know what we need, man, and we'll we'll get out there, and get that thing running. Okay. Uh, otherwise, though, we talked about a little bit about, about the GL project and uh, had a conversation, an interesting conversation with uh, one of the guys on the forums through a kind of 60-40 tire on the rear. Oh. So uh, a somewhat aggressive off-road tire on the rear and then a 90-10 of different brand on the front. Okay, so this is... I don't uh, know that it's necessarily the ideal situation, but I had a, a quick conversation with him regarding what he thinks, what he's found, good, mi- you know, whether it gets good mileage still on the tires, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether he's getting traction. He kind of got... He took the conversation in the form that apparently he's been 
dual purposing the bike relatively okay. often. Which I'm not necessarily opposed to an aggressive off-road stance. I think there's a specific good choice tire for that that is only available in Germany. And oh. the single importer to the U.S. is asking a pretty penny. Um, but if that sets off the project, then that's, you know, that's the way to go for it. Mm-hmm. We'll see what it kind of get looks like when I get there. But it got, us th- it got me thinking, and we kind of, in t- the idea of, we talked about a few weeks ago, the wrong, or the right tool for the wrong job. Sure. What makes an adventure bike? Oh. Um, Brad and I were looking at, a few days back, the, the pictures and the documentation and some of the specifications that are available, it's pretty vague still. Oh, yeah. But on the uh, the Harley-Davidson Pan America. Yes. Their new adventure Harley. What do you think of it? What's your first impression? I think if it sounds and rides like a Harley, but has the chops to do a little bit of dirt road, mm-hmm. well... Right. If it, if it can do a little dirt road well, then it will be able to do hard roads okay. Then I am all on board. I think it is a cool option, a nice change from Harley's norm. Right. If they can keep that old heritage of the Harley sound, which, say what you will, I think it's a cool sound. Yeah. I'm not a Harley owner, and I don't really have the intention to buy one in the near future. Sure. Nor would I probably spend the kind of money they're going to want for this bike. Right. In the same way that I'm not going to buy a KTM... 1290 adventure or an 1190 or any of even in the used market you know a bmw 1250 sure i just a 1200 i just am not in the market for the high-end adventure bikes so would i buy it probably not but do i like it a lot yes so aesthetically i guess is what i meant by first impression it definitely has a different look to it. They've some, done something a little bit different, especially in the front end, that I think initially kind of threw me off, but it's grown on me a little bit. What do you think of it? I agree. I think I, the front fairing is different. Okay. And I didn't like it the first time I saw it, but it's begun to grow on me. I think it looks, I mean, like a chopped... If you were to professionally customize your Road King or your FXDR or one of your Harleys with a fairing, mm-hmm. and you were to professionally make an off-road fairing based on that, that's exactly what it is. I think it is true to Harley. Okay. The fairing with a big, white, you know, big, wide, straight light is very different. It's very aggressive, almost obnoxiously aggressive mm-hmm. in its angry styling. Which is kind of what Harley always goes for, right? They kind of look for that, like, pissed off, scary look in the motorcycle world, right? What the connotation of a scary motorcycle is, is often a blacked out, super loud Harley, okay, right? Kind of a bike. And so this is the, I think it looks to me exactly like what I hope they're trying to do is an adventure bike with Harley Soul. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, looking at the side profile, like I said, you don't, they don't have a lot of details on it, but it definitely looks like a different uh, powertrain, different motor than what a lot of their other ones are. And it may just be because it is uh, liquid-cooled, I'm, I'm assuming, but it doesn't look the same. I, don't, I haven't seen any other bikes with the same motor. Now, I could be mistaken, but it just appears a little bit different. So one of the things that I asked you before is kind of where does it fit into the scene? Is it supposed to be something that, um, of course, with any Harley, it's fully customizable and there's a huge OEM and aftermarket um, product availability for it as far as making it look like however you want it to be, right? Sure. And all quality parts, I'm sure. But is it something that they're going to have some derivative as a flat tracker? I know that just a couple years ago they have a new, they introduced a new flat track motorcycle. Is this something that they're trying to do like the FTR 1200 for Indian? I'm just kind of trying to see, other than the fact that they're they're entering into the um, adventure market with something other than a modified Sportster, you know, where are they trying to go with this bike? That's fair. I mean, I, I gotta say, I kind of disagree. Looking at the side profile, I see a lot of similarities in the engine. Um, I think it's probably the same power plant that's in their current models, their new 2020 models. Okay. Um, my guess is they haven't done anything different. It does look very different in kind of that tubular frame, 
with the full tubular subframe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something different. Harley really doesn't have a subframe, right? Yeah. It was just a fender on a couple of rails. So having that tubular subframe gives it a very different approach. Um, but in the market, I, I see it competing in the on-road touring adventure bikes. I see it competing with the Tiger 1200, mm-hmm. with the BMW 1200s, with possibly even the KTMs, although KTM's pretty well known for its off-road chops. Okay, so you're suggesting that it would be like actually a 90-10% on-road versus off-road, that somebody's That's, buying yeah. this that may go down a few forest service roads or gravel roads or Some, something, but yeah. not really doing a lot of... I think it's in the market of the heavy, you um, know... BRDs. The, yeah. I think it's in the market of the heavy adventure touring bikes, right? You end up with your, you know, you've got the V-Strom you know, 1000 and you got the little 650, mm-hmm. right? The 1000 is for people that really generally don't do as much off road, right? They're touring a lot, but want the opportunity to take a dirt road up to a viewpoint. Sure. And do that comfortably, not slowly and with concern on their super round on highway tires, right? On okay. your, on your motorcycle. So, you know, I think it's not, if you're legitimate off roader and I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that thing comes out and just rocks off road. Well, I think that depends on how much it weighs. I know. CG. There, there's a lot to take into yeah. account for that. How well they've tuned the shocks for. It. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into that. Mm-hmm. And I hope for their sake they do it right, and it comes in and sh- shocks everybody, and it's just stellar off road. But I, I don't see that in what I look at image wise. I see something that is a Harley touring bike. That can now go off the uh, you know off the beaten path to go see viewpoints and simple roads. Yeah, but they already kind of had that to some extent, right? This isn't the only one that they've had that could do a little bit of everything. It's the first one that they're selling as explicitly for adventure, the adventure market, I should say. But just because the adventure market's kind of maybe hot right now, if you will. Uh, they've had other offerings that would have done just as well. Mm, stock, they don't really. Okay. I mean, sportsters are pretty renowned to do anything you want, but with a fair amount of modification. That's fair. Right? Your, your good off-road sportsters have a lot of mods, both frame modification as well as suspension and, and all of that, tires, right. wheels. It's not inexpensive to make a competent off-road uh, sportster. Okay. Right. It's not, it's, it's still not really unaffordable. I mean, it's pretty expensive even to just do a for show only, similar to what this is intended to be in my brain. Okay. It's kind of a, a bike that is mainly for the road, but can handle some dirt roads. That's kind of what I see this adventure bike as. But I, I think the, you know, with the sports, there's kits to do that, but they're not cheap. Well, I mean, nothing Harley. A few grand. Yeah, nothing Harley is going to be cheap, but I understand. What but you're these going are aftermarket, this. right? Yeah, these aren't no, from Harley, but yeah. even from aftermarket providers to make your sports scrambler or a tracker or what you know, basically change the styling of your sportster is a relatively expensive purchase. I mean, and and a lot of work to build. So if you're wanting to just get that out of the box from Harley and then just customize it with Farkles, then you know I think it's a good option. I think it's an interesting addition to Harley's lineup as well, because it doesn't really... I mean, we've got the live wire, which is also kind of an outlier. Mm-hmm. But they've been talking about that for, you know, forever now, since the previous iteration. It's not like that's a new conversation, so it doesn't doesn't feel as shocking and novel. Well, it almost appears like all of their new bikes are kind of outliers. Do you, do you the new disagree? One, I mean, a yeah. lot of them are in a price point where you're paying a lot... Right, you're getting that fit and finish, which we've talked about in the past, which is something that Harley does really well. They have the sound, right? There's certain things that you're paying for, as well as uh, U.S. heritage when you go with the Harley. So, where do you see this being something that Harley's trying to go towards? Is getting into very niche markets? I don't know that uh, trying to get into as many niche markets as it is just a. An attempt to become new and noteworthy. You know, it's the attempt to get us to talk about it, right? It's the attempt to get it up on a news article in somebody's feed. That's it. Um, you know, I would hope for their sake they're doing a competent attempt at it and not just a PR gimmick. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first iteration of the live wire felt a little bit that way because it went nowhere. They yeah. brought it around a show, showed it off, had people ride it, and it kind of disappeared. They're basically at that same point now with this one where I've seen people, videos of people riding them. Mm-hmm. They brought them around. People are getting a chance to get on them. They're all but ready, and hopefully they actually go into production this time. Um, but that's the, that's the fear I see with them is I don't know that it's so much them trying to trying to kind of do that as, as much as it is an attempt to have bikes that are new and noteworthy. Because if you really look at the 2020 lineup, they're not doing a whole bunch of new incredible things. Mm-hmm. The rest of the bikes are really pretty much a, a, the next iteration of what they're already doing. They look very similar. They kind of still have that Harley style and that Harley look and yeah, not a I'd lot say of that they've, they there's, there's a few, few changes that bring, bring it in line with what the market is currently doing. I'd say that that That's fair. is noteworthy and something that I think was probably uh, overdue to some extent. But what I'd rather see them do personally is to set the trend as opposed to following a trend. And so whether that be the live wire, although I feel like that's kind of doing the same thing, or one of these other bikes, how are they saying, hey, why would you buy anything other than a Harley? And that's what I want to see Harley do, personally. That's fair. That's pretty rare to see these days in in bikes. I mean, I know we're getting out of adventure bikes now, but there's not a lot of bikes out there that aren't an iteration of what exists, right? Not a lot of... I mean, maybe the Nikens is an example of that, that that's pretty novel and independent out there. I mean, the Piaggio's got their scooters that are similar, but in size and, and stature, it's a very different bike. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a handful of outliers, but really they're all pretty similar. There's not a lot of that. Nobody's really making huge waves these days. Mm-hmm. People come out with small iteration, iterative changes that are cool and the best thing that's in the news today. Right. But something that's going to be beat out in a month, right? Nothing that's going to last for two, three years is like, what did they do? Right. You look at like the, we were talking about GL as a, as a dual sport bike, dual purpose bike. You know, they made the 650 turbo, the 500 turbos. Those were something that was new and noteworthy and that still stands as kind of a crazy idea that Honda had. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking 30, 40 years later. I don't know that. You know, anything they're doing in the world of motorcycles really is new and noteworthy these days. It seems like a lot of the innovations that I've seen lately are onboard technology, whether it be ABS or some sort of a heads-up display that is completely unique, has a bunch of features, you know, uh, built into it. You can now find your bike from your phone in case you lost it at the very front of the store because we all park at the very back of the parking lot in a motorcycle. You don't want another door to hit your door. Another door to hit my door. Yeah, you don't want somebody to swing the door up and hit your door. Okay. I, <laughs> I, I, all I'm saying is that it seems like a lot of the technology te- tends to be going into that. What is there something that is on this adventure bike that is unique? And I know that there's not a lot of specs on it. What do you see that kind of sets it apart? I, I mean, I think the Harley V-Twin is a very... Well-known sound. Okay. Very well-known power plant that I think will add a certain character to the adventure market that you'll hear from, you know, a ways down the road, Mm -hmm. that Harley adventure bike coming up the trail, right? It's not going to be just another buzzing, you know, thumper or another, you know, the BMW sound isn't necessarily that unique, right? It sounds like it definitely has more of a sport bike hum than Mm -hmm. a... You know, that a, a twin type thump to sure. it. But Harley definitely has that sound. Yeah. And so I, I have to imagine because it's got the V twin engine, it would keep, it would retain that, that character. I think that's something that kind of sets it apart from the adventure market. But I think Harley's really making more of a, a wave in its own market. I think this will be historic for Harley, but not necessarily for the motorcycle world. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't foresee it being a shock to, to the world. So they're the still world. playing catch up. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in a way, that they're moving into new segments. Okay. I don't know that it's catch-up. It's not like they're trying to beat out, you know, a lot of what we see is is one bike leapfrogging the other, right? You've got the Sportster owning the world, then you get the Scout. And then mm-hmm. you kind of, the Sportster upgrades to something newer and different, and they're kind of just trying to compete with each other. Sure. 
And that, this is kind of just saying, hey, in the American world, there's not a lot of options. Mm-hmm. We're the first ones. Okay. Right? Indy doesn't really have an adventure bike. Well, but that's why I brought in the FTR 1200. I would suggest that that is in that realm, especially with some of the packages that they have available that are are directly um, intended for that market. I would hope that Harley in the adventure world, because that's more set up as a tracker scrambler, if you ask me. Kind of a dirt a uh, a dirt track bike, right? A flat tracking bike is the base of the FTR, right? I, it's generally a little bumpy, good traction off road, but honestly, good capability off road. Mm. If is only they let us use one of these bikes, so yeah, we fully. could actually uh, check it I out mean, and see how this if works. If we look at that market, right, the new Scrambler twelve hundred that Triumph has, okay, they've got videos of that thing just. I mean, jumping, hitting trails at a pretty good pace. It is a heavy bike. Okay. It is a big bike. How much does it weigh? Uh, I think it's five and change. It's mm-hmm. about the same as the old 900s. So would you suggest that the new um, Pan American is actually going to be pretty heavy? Do you I, think that it's going to be in line with the Historically, scramble? I would wager so, but my, my hope here is that and I don't know what it's going to be. We haven't seen any videos or really anything real other than pictures mm-hmm. and real, you know, pictures of real bikes. They've got, clearly got a couple of demo bikes floating around. But my hope would be that it's sub six, you know, yeah. that it's no heavier than the heaviest adventure bikes out there, and that it can outperform, you know, single track type trails. It can outperform the FTR because if it can't and it's heavy. I don't think it's going to do anything in the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of our assumptions on this this Harley adventure bike are, are hopes, dreams, and thoughts um, thus far. But, you know, if, if they can do what Harley in their advertising says they're doing with flowery words, if the numbers match that, I really think it will be, it will make an impact in the market. Harley will take a portion of the adventure sales and be able to pocket that. Hmm. If it is just a Harley that's worse than everything else available, I really don't think it's going to do much because your classic Harley buyers don't care. This needs to take someone who builds custom bikes where there's not a lot of, you know, trails, but wants that opportunity to go hit a trail every once in a while or do that cross-country trip where they don't have to worry about dirt and gravel, you know, and they want that Harley. This needs to hit that person that would be buying, you know, a a big BMW, right? Okay. This needs to take that person that it's like, hey, I want that BMW, but I'm staying in the U.S. The dealership market is good for Harley. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with this bike because it will do the job. So you're suggesting um, that the demographics are the same people. The demographics demographics of who would be purchasing this are the same as those that are currently looking at the BMWs. I would say that entire market. Yeah, the BMW, the, the Tiger Explorer... Okay. I think Harley, if they're smart, and I don't know what's going to come out, so I could be completely Yeah, no, that we're speculating, yeah. But I think if they're smart, they're going for full technology, top-of-the-line dash. They're mm-hmm. going for all the bells and whistles, mm-hmm. and they're going to go ahead and bring out an adventure bike that's a competent, large displacement touring bike. Okay, what what is the age group of people that they're going to target for this, I you think? I don't know that it's much younger than what they already target. Those large displacement adventure bike riders are often, you know, 45, 50 and up. Okay. So they're going to basically pull the next generation from who they already are pulling. Sure. On a statistical standpoint, you know, they're pulling a a retirement crew. Which has been one of the concerns that Harley isn't investing or hasn't been able to crack into the younger generation yet. And I I don't think this is going to buy the younger generation. I think it's going to get a slightly younger generation, but not the quote-unquote younger generation mm-hmm. and now this wouldn't be their flagship what would you suggest their flagship is currently they're they're big this is harley now moving forward what bike is that is that still their traditional i think the fat bob is their best seller and the one that most dealerships are pushing okay it's a pretty cool bike i gotta say i, I don't know that i'd pay the money that they want for it the fxdr is pretty cool it's that track oriented of sorts harley mm-hmm. um you know, they've got three or four now that I don't know what their flagship... I think their flagship, based on the 
top of the line, every bell and whistle, we this is where we show everything we do as Harley. It's still the Road King and the yeah. Electra Glides. Yeah. Right. It's the it's the big touring bikes. It's still Harley's okay. this is Harley. Right. Which they have a new one coming out this And they have year. a new one coming out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean that but I think that's their quote unquote flagship. But mm-hmm. I think they in the younger market regard, I think they're making some waves with the FXDR. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people looking at it. A lot of people wanting to sit on them. Sure. I don't know if they're getting everybody to pull the trigger yet because the price tag is quite high. What's it at? Do you remember vaguely? I think it's thirty okay. in the thirty range. Which do you think this is going to be, be most the same Harleys? price? I really do. I, I don't see Harley really trying hard other than these these Asian market bikes. Mm. They're really not bringing anything out that's in the affordable range. So this new Pan American, you think, is going to be another thirty thousand? I'm, I'm bike. sure. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say I'm sure, but right the. The new Fat Bobs, the FXDR, the uh, the uh, Livewire, mm-hmm. right? Harley's just come out with a lot of $30,000 bikes. Well, which... it's something, if they're actually being uh, produced in the U.S., that, of course, can tend to make a bike or car or whatever it may be more expensive. But that's what I think is the hardest part of getting onto a Harley at a young age, let's say, and following with Harley throughout the rest of your life and always upgrading, get a new bike, going to be a Harley. I started on a Harley type of a mentality. Whereas right now, you start on something else that is some sort of Japanese bike or a German bike. Or, well, some of those are a little bit more expensive, of course. But being able to get on one of those and say, oh, I, well, my first bike was a Kawasaki or a Honda or whatever, maybe a Yamaha. I'll keep on riding one of those, whether it's the the best cruiser if i go from a sport bike to a cruiser well i already know yamaha i have i have an understanding of the reliability right as opposed sure. to jumping from one oem to another one when you go from one class of riding to the next so i don't know if that's something that's going to be a deterrent for them for harley let's say but i think it's just interesting i understand where they're going and what they're trying to do to some extent but a little concerned and of course, I know nothing. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, they haven't really... For a bike that is confirmed coming out 2020, we have very little information, you know, two-thirds of the way through 2019. Well, even if it was 25000 if it was less than thirty, that's still in that price range where it's... Uh, you're, you're, you're very much so going into a market where the demographics of the people that are going to be willing to pay for that yep. are a lot I, I think that's why the big... Yeah, the large displacement adventure touring bikes are in that older market. It's mm-hmm. people that can afford the $30,000 bike. Mm-hmm. Right? But a lot of them, they can get on a used bike that is an adventure bike to some extent that is much cheaper. Yeah. And they could build into it. They could say, oh, I like this. And the large displacements, it's getting harder and harder. They're, they're pretty pricey. Yeah, I understand You're that. You're still looking at well over time. But even a small displacement. What does, Har- what does yeah. Harley have that kind of builds you up and into that's that? that's what they don't. Right, and that's what I'm getting at is that they don't have it. And so you can get into, let's say, if you're into cruisers, you can get into a Sportster or something else for under 10 around 5 or less, $1,000. And you could build up to the point where, like, yeah, I'm going to spend the $30,000 now. I'm, I've worked my way. That's the kind of bike I do a lot of riding on, love it, want to go and do put a ton of miles on it over the next five Along years. Along those lines, I mean, you're saying Holly doesn't have anything else. What, what would you say makes an adventure bike? anything that you can have an adventure on i don't think that you have to have a specific bike and i guess i i'm a little confused when everybody's going for these uh, high dollar big bore leader bikes for adventure bikes so maybe maybe i just don't get it yet but i could see getting into something into the 400 cc 700 cc 600 whatever it may be but why would i need a 1200 or anything else except for maybe the additional weight maybe the the pull on a freeway, if I'm going to be spending the most of my time doing that. For me, when I think adventure bikes is actually going out and getting off-road, maybe not to the level of having a dirt bike, but being able to actually perform and get into the areas that I would see myself riding, whether I was in my hometown around Burns or up in these mountains around us in the northwest. I know that doesn't exactly answer your question, but mostly because I don't have one of these bikes. So I imagine I mean, myself getting one that I could do as much do. with as I could. I do. You've got a KLR250, and that could be just as much an adventure bike as anything else, if not more. Sure, sure. Um, the downfall, as we've stated before, would be if I'm on the freeway or a highway 
or something along those lines. And being able to pack a lot of gear, it's a little bit more difficult on the 250. So something that can carry a little bit more um, would be beneficial for that, as well as being able to go down the freeway at, uh, let's say, 70 miles an hour and feel very comfortable, feel very planted, but also be able to perform off-road. So I can understand where the adventure market's trying to go. They're trying to suit or cater to people who are going to do that. But yeah. I think that it's way overboard to spend 30 I don't think you need to spend $30,000. And that's why, like, the KLR650 did so well as the, the the poor man's or the introductory adventure bike, if you will. I mean, we talked about it, uh, I guess, it's been a number of months ago, the BDR video that we watched and had a, had a crew kind of mm-hmm. kind of watch with us. Um, I mean, if you're doing that, we're, we're going to go do the Nevada BDR. Yeah. And we're going to go down south of Vegas. Yeah. Basically, all highway, then run the BDR all the way up. I actually think Nevada goes east to west, but you get the point. Run all the way up Nevada mm-hmm. to then keep running maybe the Oregon BDR mm-hmm. right up into 84 and back home. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got to say that there's something to be said about a larger displacement bike. I, I struggle with that dichotomy because, you know, I watch these videos and I'm like, yeah, while you're on that trail and while you're in specifically the tough spots of that trail, yeah. You know, 650 seems about as big as you ever want to be. Yeah. Right? But when you want to, you know, get down to, we watched the California one. Mm-hmm. You want to get down to Southern California and you want to make, you know, good time on I-5 for 1,400 miles. You don't really want to be on a 650, <laughs> you know? You want to be on something that can just cruise at 85 and feel like it's not working hard and you can just comfortably get there. Because mm-hmm. you're going to spend, you know, almost as many days getting there as you do doing the trail, and then a couple more days getting home. Well, the most important thing for me, uh, more than speed, is going to be reliability and comfort. Well, and the reliability, and then capability when I'm actually off road. So those three things are going to be important for that kind of a ride. Now, there's probably more that I could look at um, and point out, but. Knowing that I can get there and back, regardless of the speed, regardless of how I feel on the bike, that the bike is capable of doing it, that's important. And all of these can do it. The The question is, you know, the reliability becomes questionable when you're going 85 for 1,400 miles. You know what I mean? No, I understand. That's one of the things you got to look at and understand whether the bike is capable of doing that. And what the limitations of the bike are. If it can't do 85 or it shouldn't do 85, because a lot of these probably could, It maybe I need to cruise down at 70. And so I plan the trip for that. The, the trip is planned. Is it worth spending three times the dollar amount to have a bike that can go 85 as opposed to saying, I just need to go 70. And I could get up to 100 miles an hour occasionally if I want to. So we're not too far from the hour, but let's get into it. If you, you're right now in your state where you only have a limited number of days off. Okay. You want to go do these adventures Mm -hmm. and you don't know whether you're going to die tomorrow or in 50 years or in a hundred years when they start implanting pig hearts and make, let us live till we're 200, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know. Is it worth triple the amount so that you can go this next summer and do that trip that you only have enough time for that trip? Oh, but how much time are you really saving 15 miles an hour? Over 1,400 miles and a larger gas tank and half the stops, you're saving a day or two. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to plan it out. I'm just saying that really, depending on how far you're going to go, I don't know if it makes sense. 10 hours, you're talking 150 miles, that's two more hours, that's not a day and a half. But, to your point, a lot of other things need to be taken into consideration as far as stops are concerned and um, whatever may come up for that bike. But I think it just depends. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that. That was terrible. (sighs) I know, I am terrible. But I guess that's my, my thoughts on it is... I don't, I don't think it's worth three times the dollar amount regardless, though, and I'm not saying it for a be, day though. and a half. If you're gonna I get, plan accordingly. If you're going to get a newer 650, you're going to be out ten grand, okay, with bags and everything else. So if you want, I mean, it depends what you want to get, right? I'm not saying you have to get a $30,000 bike. No, but some of these very to, popular bikes, what, what price range are they at? 15, V-Strom 1000. 
Okay. And 15, then a 16. lot of people like the BMWs. How much are those going for? Sure. I think they're closer to th- they're 25 to 30. Okay. So 15 to 25 is what I'm saying. But, so, so you're talking 15. If you're if we're talking now, you need a bike that has a capacity of a liter or higher so that you can do some freeway cruising. Yeah. Right? Now your option is a used KLR, right? KLR 650 mm-hmm. versus a used V-Strom 1000. Mm-hmm. You're talking nine grand to five grand. Talking four thousand dollars extra, uh, the difference between you being able to do twice as many, you know, two extra days on your trip per week. Yeah, I don't know. With them. You'd have to figure out the return on investment, but I think I'd still be in that other boat, and maybe I'm just cheap. But I think that you have to understand what you're really trying to get, and is it worth it? How many trips are you going to do in a year? How many? How capable is it off road? How comfortable it is? Because we didn't even get into that one, other than me stating it at the beginning. You got to have reliability, comfort, sure, and off-road capability. And I'm sure we could argue that any of those and would do both of those are well very, yeah. off-road. Comfort-wise, maybe you need to invest in a seat or some other things. Are you going to? And on some of these things, if you're going to do a BDR, you're you're not going to have maybe a person riding with you. But how well does it ride two up? If you want to go down there with your wife or girlfriend or whoever it may be. So a lot of that needs to be taken into consideration as well. And maybe the bigger bikes would be better if you're going to ride two up on a lot of these trips. You need to be able to go and you're not going to be off-roading potentially when you have somebody riding passenger with you. But you know that you're going to have a lot of weekend trips up into the hills where you want to just get off-road just a little bit. So maybe it works out. So you have to understand what you're actually going to use the bike for and kind of plan it out. But for me, I think... I'm not to the point where I need that maybe status symbol or something that is really flashy and has some extra features. I just need the bike to be able to get there, be comfortable, and do well. I don't know that it's so much a, a status symbol. I think you need. I think it is okay. And I'm not saying if you don't have money, go bro- go broke and buy it. Right, spend your entire life savings on the bike that you've always wanted. But I think it's okay to get the bike that is right for you. If, oh, that's fair. I don't think you need to settle on and say, hey, I can't go on quite as many trips. Because uh, All I've said is what's right for me. I don't right know. Now. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that doing that and having that capability of, of the bike that is working for you at the moment is, uh, you know, is worth the investment for self-health and, and all of the many reasons we've talked about for the last, you know, 28 episodes. Mm-hmm. That's what we got, 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there, there, there's benefits to that that include just having fun and enjoying life. And, and that's, I guess, what I wanted to get at when you were kind of talking about, you know, I'd rather just go 45 or 50 down the highway. I never said that. Because, you know, <laughs> if you're going, you know, three days straight down the Baja Peninsula, mm-hmm. which you could do in a week if, mm-hmm. you, if you're cooking down to Southern California and then just do the peninsula, I mean, you can, we can make that work within our, mm-hmm. our available time off at work, you know, but you, you got to be able to get there. And I guess that, all I'm saying in my paradigm is that not being in the market, not doing this regularly... Starting off with the bike that I have has the capability of doing all those things and then building up to it if I really love it and go, hey, you know what? Those extra features and those things on those higher dollar bikes, those nicer bikes that are fully rigged for this, yeah, it's worth it. But not being at that level right now, I would I would suggest just get into the market. And so that would be finding something that is reasonably priced, that is capable of doing everything I need to, and then build from there. Now, if you know that you need that other bike, you're going to be doing these things and you're you're set on it, you've already got the next year completely taken off to go on your ride, and that's the bike for you, then don't waste the money on the cheaper bike. Get the one that works that's for fair. you. I guess it's your point if you're thinking new riders and... Well, I, that's my perspective for this, in essence. No, I think most of the people... I mean, we started the conversation with the you know the Harley Adventure bike. I don't think... I don't think many new riders are buying that bike. Well, that's why we said we tried to say, where does one start off with Harley and build up to that bike? And I don't see sure. a lot of connection. But, I mean, even to that point, I, I think, you know, getting into just the adventure market in and of itself, I agree that there's a lot of people with very capable adventure bikes that don't touch off-road. Mm-hmm. Right? And And similarly, there's people with... Very capable street bikes that probably go off road more than they should on those bikes. Well, yeah, you know what I mean. There, there's 
there's a good, you know, middle ground in there that if you know what you're doing and, and the ride styles you're looking for, and even more so with adventure bikes, I mean, I guess my, my answer to my own question of what is an adventure bike, I think in the modern age, an adventure bike is a bike that is a jack of all trades. I think people buy adventure bikes because they can do it all. They can travel, they can city ride, mm-hmm. they can hit the highway and go fast and get where they want to go. Sure. They can, you know, they can hit the off-road trails. You know, it's not, like you said, not a dirt bike, but they can go slower and still do just about anything off-road. Sure. Uh, you know, you can do anything you want to, really, with the adventure bikes. From oh, okay. That's commuting fair. to touring to off-road to on-road to, you know, basically anything but float down the river. Right. Not knowing what they may want to do with the bike. It has the capabilities I think that they so choose. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that this really... I'm not even not knowing, but but with that idea of hey, I'm just going to follow the road that right, follow wherever this road takes me. Kind of a mentality of I'm just going to enjoy life and and live on the seat of my pants. I, I think that's a good market, and I think Harley's coming out with a good bike for it. Yeah, okay. But I think that you know, in that world, I, if you're really looking for a jack of all trades, I think there is value to the larger displacements. Okay. You you know you're not going to not be able to do it with a 250, 450, 650. Mm-hmm. You know, 500 in my case, but you definitely aren't going to really excel at any of it. Mm-hmm. Right? About the only thing that, you know, the GL excels at being different and cool. Mm-hmm. Red And Randy. carrying a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's know? a good name. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. But, you know, but at the same point, you know, with, with 500 cc's, it's not the fastest around corners. It's not the fastest from a stop sign. It's not the best at stopping doesn't have the best suspension like you know what i mean there's things that you don't get until you get into kind of the premium market and i'm not saying go buy a brand new you know whatever it is i know we've got friends that do that the second the newest large displacement or medium displacement off-road bike comes out they're out and buying it mm-hmm. but you know you can get a lightly used tiger explorer you know 1200 gl you can get mm-hmm. All kind GS. GL is my bike. 1200 GS. But you can get all kinds of fun fun off-road bikes that are lightly used that can really let you do anything you want. Yeah, that's fair. I think there's a market for that. I, I know we got spent a lot of time on Harley, but there's a, a, a market for that. I mean, obviously, I think it's the fastest growing in the U.S. statistically, so there's clearly a market for that. Sure. But I, my wager is that's why, is, is you can really do whatever you want. You can race. You can take it on a track day. I mean... Those 1200 GSs are on track days. That, that's the one I think of when I think jack of all trades. Okay. I know a handful of people with GS 1200s and they do whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great touring bike. It's a great track bike. It's a great adventure bike. It takes very little change to the basic setup to get it to do whatever it is you're looking to do that day. Yeah. Which is a nice thing to have, right? If you just want one, yeah. one versatile tool in your garage, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I can understand that. And adventure bikes in general. Right now, I'm talking specific bike, but an advent, you know, a V-Strom is a good bike to have. A Versus, right? All these, even these lesser priced, you know, Kawasaki and Suzuki, and I think the Tenere is a little more expensive. But you know, the Yamaha. There's good bikes to be had that are not that expensive, especially in the used market. Oh yeah. Well, that's what I was suggesting that anybody wanting to start off that doesn't know exactly what they want, but there's some appeal to them. They're excited about an adventure bike and what the capabilities are that, uh, getting a good used bike, knowing what you're looking for as well is important, but, uh, might be a good place to start off and then build yourself up to the Pan America. That's right. Yeah. That's the end goal for all of us. Pan America. Yeah. I want to ride one. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. Well, when they, uh, start showing up in the showrooms, we'll- Go down Get to ourselves down the latest and yep, jump on their uh, their Pan America and see what we think in real life. But uh, otherwise, appreciate everybody listening. Oh. Appreciate all of the new downloads. Everybody that just started. Please uh, rate and review. Yeah, hope you're enjoying it. Let us know. Give us feedback and uh, share it with your friends. The more downloads we get, the happier we are. Are we? And the happier you are too. Oh. <laughs> nonetheless go ahead and support moto support your local dealerships your local uh, local shops you know make sure that we're keeping the uh, the motorcycle world at least maybe not on the front page Mm -hmm. but at least in the paper that uh, we can keep keep this going so that we can keep enjoying it and uh, get out and ride guys have a have a great week until next time
Right on. Mm-hmm.